0: Every day I'm hustling, and What's up, Corey? Hey, Mike. It's been a while. It has been a while. We've been a little busy. Unfortunately, this podcast isn't ramen profitable yet. No, not 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 even close. I mean, ramen costs, what, 10 cents a pack? We don't have any advertising revenue yet, so, you know, we still have our day jobs. But I think we've got a great episode lined up talk about Johnny Mandel and all the controversy around him. It's kind of still going on. We still haven't had a sports segment. This will be our first. This will be our first sports segment. We're going to talk about Jeff Bezos, the CEO of Amazon, buying the Washington Post. Personally, not for Amazon, but himself. Pretty strong move. Yeah. And then I think, you know, we should talk about music festivals. There's, you know, music festival seasons winding down and. Talk about what, what goes on there, the culture, and Mike Mike went to one a couple of weeks ago. Um, you went to one last week. Yeah, I went to one last week, so uh,
1: it's kind of a interesting interesting uh, experience, uh, especially for me as I'm uh, you know kind of getting too old for the, <laughs> uh, for the music festival.
0: Well, switching gears to Johnny Manziel, aka Johnny Football. Uh, last year, he was the Heisman Trophy winner. Most yards ever, I'm pretty sure, by any Heisman winner, 50-something, hundred, fifty, 50, yeah, 100 yards. As a redshirt freshman, too. Yeah, we can we can fact-check that, but he's he's known for his off-the-field antics. Uh, loves to party, uh, loves to have a beer. Yeah, I think he showed up randomly at a, a UT frat party uh, not too long
1: ago, um, which is... Which is fine. I think, uh, I mean, obviously Texas and Texas a and are bitter rivals, but yeah. Um, Would you
0: say he's Gronkowski-esque? Like kind of like the Gronk who just doesn't give a shit and likes to go out and have a good time? No, I think that,
1: actually I was talking to my little brother about this. Um, my brother's 24 and, and he follows, you know, a bunch of athletes on Twitter, including Johnny Menzel and he's been following a lot of, a lot of the story, um, as it's unfolded over the past couple of weeks and. And, and he was saying, you know, Johnny Manziel is just a a 20-year-old kid, just like some regular bro, like some frat dude uh, who goes to college in Texas, but he happens to also be a really, really good quarterback who is on, um, you know, the highest stage of, you know, the sports media's yeah. radar.
0: If, if we got followed in the stuff we did, yeah, I mean, I mean, if, if it, we were the same, same 20, yeah, yeah it would be... It'd be tough. And I think that, I think that, Slightly too immature
1: for the kind of attention, and yeah, just the attention that he's getting from from all these uh, media folks. And I think that he just needs to grow up a little bit. And I think he will. I mean, I don't I don't think that any NFL um, coach or organization would tolerate any any sort of um, antics like that, especially from their starting quarterback. Yeah. So if he wants to play in the league, he's going to have to to really kind of um, you know take it take him in and yeah. kind of figure out. He, he was shit.
0: picked out of the the really prestigious Manning passing camp because he was hungover. He went out the night before and he missed it. He said he slept in, and I'm pretty sure his parents called him in saying he was sick. Yeah, and it's, it's funny because, you know, we as sports fans will we'll look down on,
1: on on an athlete like Johnny Manziel if he, if he shows up to a passing camp hungover, right? But how many of you and your friends showed up to a midterm or... Uh, a lecture or something like that when you were a sophomore or a junior in
0: college, you know, slightly hungover or something like that, right? I mean, I'm also on the big stage with, getting like millions of dollars. No, that's true. I also didn't party the night before midterm.
1: No, I mean that. I mean, I think that's fair. I didn't party the night before midterm either. <laughs> but I mean, again, we have to. I think a lot of times people lose lose sight of the fact that he's a he's a twenty year old kid and and he's probably on the immature side of of, of the average twenty or twenty one year old. No. But, I mean, I think he's taken it to another level. I mean, we'll get to uh, some of the uh, NCAA.
0: Yeah, that's the real context. story. I think yeah. the real story is, this is whatever. It's just fodder for the tabloids. Uh, you know, drinks, you talk about his it, immaturity level and what have you. But the the real story is kind of around, should college athletes be paid?
1: Well, so the the controversy here was that uh, it came out that um, that Johnny Menzel was – was signing autographs and selling them to autograph brokers, um, and a lot of these autographs were showing up on eBay. And um, I think the LA Times um, had suggested that the the way he got caught was uh, his family attempted to trademark the name uh, Johnny Football and was issuing takedown notices to a bunch of uh, autograph brokers who were putting up Menzel's autograph on eBay. And I guess then at that point they kind of you know just basically uh, ratted him out for you know selling his autograph for money.
0: Um, I think. I mean, I think he. What do you think about this? I, yeah. So he was in a room with a bunch of brokers, uh, exchanged autographs for money, got caught. Allegedly, I don't. There's no confirmation this actually happened. These are all just stories. Uh, if it's true, I think. He's really dumb, and that kind of relies really with his immature side because he needs to keep his eye on the prize. The prize is he's going to end up become a millionaire, but he's kind of screwing that up along the way. But on the other hand, uh, why should he not be able to make money from his personal name and his brand? If I'm if I'm a computer programmer and I was twenty years old in uh, school. I can go out and sell my services and my brand for however much I want, that's not going to have any ramifications on my eligibility to stay in school yeah, or right. to, to stay in my major. And I think that even a, a closer
1: analogy would be uh, uh, baseball players, right? I mean, I think you, know, you go to college, and you get a scholarship to Indiana to play uh, Division One baseball, but a professional baseball team wants to draft you. Um, you know, you have every right to, to leave school or not even enroll in school and just and just go play in the minor leagues and make a profession and work on your job, which is you know I mean, Johnny Manziel's job is 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 to play football. I mean, it also came out that he uh, his course schedule for the fall came out. He's taking all online classes. He's not even going <laughs> to class. I mean, this guy. I mean, I mean SEC football. So the te- the Texas A and M Aggies moved to the SEC last year and. We all know what, what 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 how football is treated down there. I mean, it's it's religion. I mean, most of those most of those states, you know, Alabama, uh, Louisiana, Louisiana has but a lot of them don't even have NFL football games. Mississippi, you know these, you know, college football. Uh, I, someone someone always told me that SEC the the two most important sports are college football and spring football. <laughs> So I mean they don't care about anything else. And 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 the, the quarterback of your team is, you know, he has a full-time job to to practice, to learn the playbook, to lead the team, to uh, do off-season workouts. And and you know, it, it, it kind of makes it makes you wonder if you're this superstar who's making your university millions of dollars because they're going to the the Rose Bowl or the Fiesta Bowl, yeah. And the coach, your coach is getting paid five million bucks a year, and um and all these facilities are being paid for because the university is bringing in so much money. But you you are you know basically just get free um free, get free tuition, free tuition and free dorm food, right? Yeah, and some free cleats and shorts and shirts.
0: I yeah, I think the in. I think Jay Byles was spot on when he called out the NCAA for his, his big thing was they're making money off his name, but he can't make money off his own name. So if you go on NCAA.com, you go to the store, you search Johnny Manziel, you can buy his jersey. Yes. And NCAA is making money from that, but they're saying, Hey man, you can't sell, uh, you can't you know do autographs for money, which is pretty fucking backwards. And, and I think that's a separate issue. I think that the NCAA
1: has, has to change a lot about how they operate because um, historically, they've been very, very um, adamant about um, uh, uh, policing um, the amateurs and
0: rules that they have. It's and horrible. It's it's horrible. The uh, Last year, for the first, I don't know, 10 games of the season, IU self-reported, uh, I don't know the full story, but two of their players sat for the first 10 games because they're... Foster parents, not foster parents, but people that were taking care of them, and they came to play these AAU camps. Were Indiana University donors twenty years ago that bought a twenty-five dollar uh, bumper sticker saying "like IU donor," and that's against NCAA regulations, right? And so, <laughs> and so, the NCAA
1: has you know has made it a point to to uh, police any instance of this. It happens in, in, in basketball. It happens in football. Not so much the other sports, but the two the two major revenue sports. And and then you know to see this kind of hypocrisy, like to go onto you know NCAA uh, .com or whatever it is, nca.org and go you know buy yourself, you know, my favorite my favorite football player is a guy named Brett Hunley, who's a quarterback for UCLA. You know, up until last week when when uh, when Jay Billis exposed um, you know the hypocrisy, um, you could type in Brett Hunley and up would pop five different variations of the number 17 UCLA football jersey. Now, of course, you know, the, you know, the NCAA doesn't allow the, the players' names.
0: Right, you know, that's what the country, video games where you right. have the same... So it's just yeah. the number 17 without the name. But, I mean, if, you,
1: if, if a fan can just go on to the, the NCAA shop and type in Jadavion Clowney and then up pops the South Carolina jersey or type in Johnny Manziel, you're profiting off of the name and likenesses of, of, of each of these amateur athletes. So, I mean, you have every right if you're Johnny Manziel or Brett Hundley to, to be upset about how not only your school is making money off you, but the NCAA is making off, uh, money off you. Yeah. And the NCAA uh, is going to make, make damn sure that you're not going to make a cent off of anything, and you're going to get punished if, 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 if you attempt to.
0: Yeah. So the NCAA is messed up. They pretty much got caught. And I think the president and the NCAA said, we're taking down merchandise. Like they, they got J-vitals. Uh, what are your thoughts about schools making money off players? Should players be paid to play these these sports in school?
1: Well, I mean, it's pretty obvious that, that, that college sports, especially the two major revenue sports, um... Basketball and, yeah, basketball and football give a give a, a substantial benefit to the university. My 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 favorite example of this has always been um, USC, which is yeah. my and mater's kind of bitter rival. Um, but when so they uh, a few years back uh, hired a new athletic director and a new president and kind of made. A point to kind of revamp their, their, uh, their athletics and, um, you know, they hired Pete Carroll Mm -hmm. and the team kind of just rose to prominence and they kind of had a little dynasty going, uh, little people don't realize is that, um, that during that time, USC's U.S. news ranking in, you know, the most prestigious colleges in America went
0: from like 58 to like number 25 in the country. Yeah, because... You have a good team, people see that on the TV, they want to go to school. Yeah, the exposure it's of, the, of the team brings,
1: you know, national
0: uh, recognition to the university. And, I mean, more money is coming in, What Well, right? that's called doomsday, though, to the teams that are not in the top 25, because they're not going to be able to pay the best players. Their teams are going to suck. No one's going to go to the games. You're not going to be able to bring anyone in. You're not going to get any ticket revenue. So then you come in where you have a, a, a dynasty like the Yankees, because you can afford to pay you know, for these, co- for supreme, you know, college athletes, and then you can't, and now all these other shit teams. Yeah, I mean, I
1: think that the way things are going, there will have to be sort of a divide between the big conferences, you know, the, I, I don't know what they're called now, I think it's like the uh, the football subdivision, like the, mm-hmm. like the they, they used to be division 1A and 1AA, mm-hmm. yeah. but the 1A schools that are in the big conferences, you know, the, big, the SEC, the Pac-12, the Big Ten. I mean, I think that those are the the pro, the pro, like the elite um, conferences, and they're always going to be able to draw the, the highest caliber uh, talent. And I think that it, there's no question that the, the universities are benefiting from this. The question is, how are we going to compensate or at least um, work something out where the players don't feel
0: slighted or continue to make these kind of mistakes like John Manziel has been doing. Um, I don't know what we would do. Maybe right? you let them make their, make money off, uh, their name and likeness. You remove the barriers. Like you have to be one year to be, uh, to go pro in basketball. Um, and what are three years for football? Right. You remove so, that. So you're saying like, Hey, you want to make money? Go for it. Go play in the NBA or go play in the NFL. I think I think that could work, and I actually think that because
1: um, the, uh, the no. NBA, the NBA, uh, the NBA has been doing great, but I think college basketball has suffered significantly ever since the NBA instituted the one and done rule. I think that you know prior to that, I think this was in the late 90s uh, when when they made the switch. You know, Kobe Bryant was one of the last. Um, I could be wrong. You we'll have a fact check on this, but Kobe Bryant, Kevin Garnett, and uh, Jason McGrady – all went directly to the yeah. NBA from high school. You know, Kobe Bryant, uh, LeBron James was as well. So, um, so it had to be uh, so it later, but I, I think LeBron was actually one of the last classes, yeah. but you know, a guy like LeBron James who physically was ready to play the NBA at age 16, who has no business playing against, you know, college kids at Butler and yeah. at Florida Gulf coast mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, Those guys are ready to go, and what happens now in 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 college basketball, at least, is you have a guy like Shabazz Muhammad who went to UCLA for one year, and it was it was there was no question that he was coming back. I mean, it wasn't when 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 he declared after the season ended, no one was surprised. Yeah, you said coaches weren't surprised, whatever. But what happens is that you force a lot of these kids to go do their one year, and then they have you know um all sorts of you know microscopes on them and their activities. Now you know, uh, Shabazz Muhammad got suspended for ten games, much like those Indiana yeah. players did. And you know, you know, Shabazz just wants to be a pro. I mean, he doesn't want to go to college. Whatever he says in the media is baloney. He wants to be paid for his uh athletic gift. Yeah. Just like and, Wiggins uh, is going to KU, number one draft. Right. He'll be gone. He'll be gone. You can't do the program on no. that either. Right. And a lot of uh, college basketball programs now have had to kind of shift their strategy, and you see uh, uh, programs like Duke um, not only recruiting the top ten, top twenty players, but also uh, recruiting some some role players, some guys that that have that athletic ceiling that aren't necessarily slam dunk NBA prospects who are going to stay for three or four years so that they can play point guard uh, as a junior or a senior and lead the team, and then you can bring in a superstar yeah. freshman or something like yeah. that. But but I don't, you know, back to your question, I don't actually think that, um, that that would work in football. I think that there are... Yeah, it's different. It's different because I think that physically uh, the players just aren't ready um, as, as freshmen in college or, you know, 18-year-olds to, to compete against, you know, some of these... Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was, I was trying to think of actually the, uh, the D end on the Houston Titans, JJ Watt. Yeah, right. So, if you imagine like an eighteen year old offensive lineman. I don't <laughs> care if he's the number one recruit in the country. You imagine that guy trying to block JJ yeah. Watt. I mean, it's just it's it's a different path. It's a joke. And so, what, what's going to happen is that I mean, kids need still need to go to college for football, and I don't think that lowering. The requirements so that the pros. I mean, Johnny Manziel was not a foregone pro out of high school. He was a, I think, I, and I'll, I'll check on Scout.com. He was a three-star recruit. He he wasn't one of the you know the um uh, you know blue chip guys yeah. that everybody was, was was trying to get. Um, you know, people develop, and some and, and with football, there's a lot of unknown, and, and and players really need that three years to 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 settle down. To, to develop in the weight room, to develop on the field. But the problem is that the ones at the big conferences are, are you know, have a full-time job as a football player and, and are, are watching the university, their coaches, um, you know, everybody around them make money off of them. Mm-hmm. And, and you'll see it for every, I mean, I think every high-profile player in the NCAA will, will, will be under scrutiny. I mean, we saw it with Reggie Bush, we saw it. With, uh, and we're seeing it now with Johnny Menzel. We're going to see it with with, with future players too, because um, you know there's a, there's a race for handlers and agents to to jump in and and uh, attach themselves to the players before they go pro. Yeah. And there's um, you know there's just so much money to be made. Imagine imagine that you're sitting on it, this gigantic event, investment, but you can't capitalize on it at all. And so of course there's going to be a ton of, um, interest and, uh, speculation. Um, and, and... But economics I mean, would be fascinating
0: if this ever happened, where...
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I think, what was it, um, there was a, uh, kind of a, a QA and a with Kirk Herbstreit Street and a few other, pl- um, uh, a few other journalists about what we should, we should do. And someone had suggested that, um, you know, we should, we should allow players to, um, to make money off of their their name and likeness, mm-hmm. but nothing else. So maybe just like autographs and that sort of stuff. Sure. But what do you draw the line? How much money can they make? Can they make an unlimited amount of money? Yeah. Why not? What I mean, but what if what if uh, what if you know a, a player is getting recruited by Alabama, and and Auburn says, "Hey, I'll guarantee you fifty thousand dollars a year in uh, autograph uh, fees." You know, and then and then um, LSU finds out about it and says, "Oh no, no, we, we, you know, we heard that you can get fifty from Auburn. We're going to be a hundred thousand. You're a five star quarterback. You're a guaranteed NFL guy. We'll be
0: you a hundred thousand. Whatever the market can bear." Yeah, I mean, I think there's a supply the demand, but then it gets to the point. I just think that paying athletes will ruin the spirit of college athletics.
1: And I it and I be agree. so so college. Um, I mean, we're kind of run long on this topic, but yeah. college football is, is is my favorite sport in the world. Um, ever since my first um, UCLA home game in my freshman year of college, I was hooked. And I agree with you; there is a spirit to it, but it is a big corporate machine, and yeah. it is a very it's a, it's a very profitable enterprise. And these players are essentially just pawns in this big um, corporate. A revenue, uh, uh, game and they're not making any money. And I, and I don't know how it feels to have, um, you know, coaches and universities making money on my behalf or, uh, you know, using my name and likeness, but it's gotta, it's gotta frustrate someone, especially, you know, if you grew up in the projects of, you know, a, a marginalized, um, a neighborhood, uh, from a, you know, big city and you know, your, your mom is having trouble feeding your brothers and sisters. And she's just kind of waiting for you yeah. to get a signing bonus so that you can, you know, maybe just pay her rent and, you know, buy your brother some school supplies, right? Yeah. Like, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you cut corners so you can, you know, buy your brother a new backpack for school?
0: That's a great point. So, I don't I don't know. I, what I think we should end it there. I know. It's, it's messed up. And it's starting to get the attention I think it deserves with this whole Johnny Manziel mess, which started... As him drinking too many beers, and now it's transitioned to a, a big uproar in, in terms of you know you could we could talk about this forever. Should high school athletes get paid? Right. So like we could talk about this topic forever.
1: Uh, well, well, quickly though, with Jonathan, <laughs> uh, he's also he's also uh, Kirk Ritchie called him one of the dumbest athletes of all time. I think he's hilarious. I think he's uh, he's just a huge bro, just kind of like a frat douche. Uh-huh. Uh, and um, before the autograph allegations came out, um, he he kind of got caught on ESPN and some other publications uh, for uh, trolling or responding to a lot of uh, Twitter trolls who were teasing him and talking crap to him uh, on Twitter. And and I guess Johnny's been a little bored this summer between know um, mm-hmm. workouts and training. He decided to respond to watching me. I'm just going to read you a couple of my favorites. Um, a guy named Bane, Bama Bain, so an Alabama fan, says, "Ah, yes, but was the douchebag? It was fake as well. I wonder. I guess in reference to uh, something that Menzel said about a fake tattoo." And then Johnny Johnny Menzel responds, "Hey, Bama Bane, tell your mom I said what's <laughs> up." Um, and then another one from Babyface Brother. He writes to Johnny Manzel, when, "When your fans find out how much of an asshole you actually are, I'll be happy, douchebag." <laughs> and then Johnny Manzel wrote, "Babyface brother, you know nothing about
0: me, homie. Hop off." <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you can put these on our, on our blog. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, whenever we get that going. Yeah, so um, mikeandcory.tumblr.com. Yeah, so um, let's transition
1: um, from college sports to real, our favorite, favorite topics. Our uh, favorite topic. Yeah. Um, Jeff Bezos is in the
0: news. Love that guy. Because of the news. So, <laughs> I just got that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Jeff Bezos, was it last week or was it two weeks ago? I mean, it was a couple of weeks ago. Uh,
1: we took we a break from uh,
0: Mike and Corey, um, for various reasons, but uh, we're catching up on some of the yeah. The so are, he uh, made some waves online and personally bought the Washington Post for $250 million. His own money. His not, own money. Not not money. So, so money. Jeff Mazos is a billionaire, uh, founder of uh, Amazon, and maybe he was just bored and picked up the Washington Post. Uh, but the newspaper industry is dying. There's no question about that. It's been cannibalized by everyone getting their news online Uh, so subscriptions are going down everyone's consuming this content online on their mobile device where have you Uh, and it's really hurting industry if you think about it uh, Craigslist has kind of replaced classifieds Uh, you know no one wants these dead you know just a shitload of paper I say on the porch every morning Um, there's a ton of blogs that cover every niche topic you could imagine so there's thousands of tech sites, so you don't have to read a text section in the paper. Uh, so, you know, and news is being distributed through social networks now and email and wherever, and it's really dying.
1: Yeah, I think...
0: You yeah, know, so, so someone just bought the Boston Globe, uh, Bezos buys the Washington Post. Newsweek, I think, uh, failed miserably. I,
1: I, I forget who acquired that. Bloomberg, Bloomberg acquired that. Yeah, Bloomberg acquired this And... Newsweek. and
0: and I think now they're valued like 100x less than than. No one's really done a paywall the right way online. Uh, you know, the New York Times had a paywall and it's shit. Uh, so, so here's here's a here's why I I disagree
1: with the the notion that newspapers are dying. I think that. You know, the, the Have you ever owned a newspaper subscription? Uh I have. I have. Um I subscribed to the New York Times um when I first moved to San Francisco uh for two years. So you got it on your doorstep? I got it on my doorstep. And then we canceled it, my roommate and I, because I was just reading way too much stuff online. And Exactly. Um I think that yes, perhaps, you know, physical newspapers are dying and there's no question that. But I think the most important thing here, and I think what, what Jeff Bezos was thinking. Let's, let's first kind of uh, make it clear. I mean, Jeff Bezos is a really smart guy. Yeah. I mean, he's probably one of the smartest uh, tech executives in the country. This is a former hedge funder who uh, went into um, uh, the tech industry, you know, after a, a pretty successful career as an analyst and a, and a trader. And, you know, I, the reason I bring that up is that, you know, he's making this uh, investment in, in, in the Washington Post with his own money. Uh, it's one percent of his uh, total net worth, which tells you how rich he is and how much money Amazon has made him. One percent. Yeah. So it, he's worth two hundred fifty billion bucks. Um. And so, so, so no, he's not worth that much money. I gotta check this right now. Two hundred fifty billion dollars. So no, no, he's worth twenty five billion. I'm no, sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. So that's one percent. Two hundred fifty mm-hmm. million of twenty five billion. That's ten percent. I think so. Is it 10%? It's
0: 10%. This is really embarrassing. Okay, okay. whatever. Hold yeah, on, hold on, hold on. on, on. on. I'll, I'll figure it out you keep talking. Well, let,
1: let, me, let, me, let me finish my point. So, um, you say the newspaper industry is dying. I say that it's evolving and and I think that the most important brands are here to stay. And I think that instead of newspapers making money off of print um, you know, print subscriptions and maybe even banner ads, which are dying. They're making money off of their brand. I mean, I think that the New York Times brand is stronger than ever. I think the Wall Street Journal brand is is very strong. I think that you could take a look at a, a bunch of other traditionally print um, publications like Vanity Fair or um, Vogue magazine, and those are doing really well. Um, you know, they're they're struggling to kind of find their appropriate uh, business model. But the brand, you know, the New Yorker is another one. The Mm -hmm. brand is stronger than ever. And people still want to consume that content wherever it is. And there's a variety of new ways to consume that sort of content. Um, The key for Bezos with the the post is to find a um, monetization strategy that can kind of transition that really powerful brand into the 21st century.
0: Yeah, I mean, he said he's going to run a lot of experiments to figure out how to better monetize uh, the Washington Post and, and make things work. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think... But did he buy this? Do you think he bought this with Amazon in mind? I really think he did. I think, but he didn't want to... I mean, he has publicly... How did they use it? Influence in Washington. A uh, huge... Thing going on with Amazon taxes in states now. Uh, that's interesting. They're, they're, they're big. You know, Amazon's big thing is their your margins, their opportunity. So taxes essentially margin, and there are certain sort of taxes or online taxes starting to happen. I think maybe they want some influence in Washington. I don't know how much. I know. think. I mean, uh, I think that's a little bit of a could be a, like Kindle, a play for the Kindle.
1: I mean that that I can see. Uh, I think that your first point, I think, is a little bit of a conspiracy theory. I think that. I don't think that Bezos is dumb enough to, you know, force writers at the post to no, start, start op op-ed. eds about how
0: um you know how Washington needs to eliminate this tax. I mean I think people would see right through it get destroyed. Yeah. I mean and for and for 250 million bucks, you can go buy yourself a ton of lobbyists to go do this anyways. I
1: think I think that the post is it's it's kind of like a little experiment for him. You know, kinda of like uh You know, maybe, maybe how Elon Musk sees Hyperloop just like a side project. Yeah. Um, just, you know, Bezos is not afraid to play the long game. He, you know, he's a hedge funder. He, um, he obviously ran Amazon for years without much profitability, kind of, you know, went through the motions, you know, kind of keeping the company afloat while they figured out how they were going to um you know scale scale the service while um you know providing amazing customer service and you know two-day shipping um and you know all that sort of stuff um but also being a profitable company. Yeah. It took it took them a while to kind of get into that groove. And I think the post will be the same thing. I think that like you said uh Bezos is going to tweak and kind of yeah experiment and I think that I think that it's kind of like a way for him and I think he probably has some sort of grand vision about what how he sees a huge um, media uh, brand like the Post can be relevant and make money yeah. um,
0: without a paywall, without banner ads, or without you know print publication. Yeah, I think I mean he's a visionary, so it could be a thing where he wants to experiment and figure out how to better run the Post and kind of leave it as his legacy, as not only the guy that bought Amazon, but this guy reinvented the way newspapers work and survived, and maybe he wants to leave that legacy.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I think that I am a firm believer that you know in ten years we're going to still be reading content, maybe maybe not from the Post, but from the big ones. We're still going to be reading the New York Times. We're still going to be reading um, the Wall Street Journal,
0: um, and you know the New Yorker, Vanity Fair. Because you're going to want to read real journalism with analysis. And this is high quality content, not Joe Schmuel blogger getting paid ten bucks an article. Right. And I $10. think
1: and I think that that is probably what is gonna have to change. I mean I think that a lot of the breaking news stuff, you know, um, you know, uh report about, you know, fifty fifty people dying in Libya, you know, the night before. You know, that's the kind of stuff that I think, you know, they'll have trouble continuing to, to create going forward yeah. because you know, the news is so real time with, with so much of, of us, of our news consumption being on social media that, you know, they're going to have to adapt to kind of more, more of the the interesting op-ed stuff and more of the interesting, um, uh, analysis and kind of, um, you know, uh, take a step back and what happened, you know, what's the story here. And I mean, I think that the Post and the Times and the Wall Street Journal, they're still going to, they're still going to attract, you know, the really high quality, um, you know, op-ed writers they are still going to attract, you know, the elite journalists whose yeah. voice really matters. And, you know, I mean, we might not be reading it on WashingtonPost.com. Uh, you know, we might be reading it on our tablet on Flipboard or something like that. But I still think that there is a lot of potential there, and I can't wait to see what happens. Yeah. mean, we can speculate all day, but... We'll see. We'll see what happens. With and this. he's a smart guy, right? I mean, like, he's like if there's secret. anybody, if there's anybody that you want, you know, messing around with this in their spare time, it's got to be, uh, you know, he's probably one of two or three that I can yeah.
0: see, you know, pulling it off. You mentioned uh, Elon Musk. What do you think about the Hyperloop? Did you read it? At all? Yeah. I mean, I, mean, oh, I mean, I'm obsessed with it. I'm originally from LA, and um, <laughs> so the you know, Hyperloop. I, just to, to go back, uh, Elon Musk, founder of Tesla, founder of spacex founder of paypal right Yeah, he, he was founder. a paypal mafia guy so was so successful yeah and he just saw he just got to solve the world's hardest problems i feel like he months ago uh said he has his vision for a mode of transportation that could get you from san francisco to la in 30 minutes and uh and people he's like oh, i'll it on august 12th and that was his big thing and and He's got two full-time jobs, by the way. Yeah, he's already got two full-time jobs. And he said that uh, it needs to be faster than a plane. Uh, you know, speed trains are, are slow, and they're two times the magnitude uh, more likely to get in a crash than an airplane. Uh, and he said this Hyperloop is only $6 billion to build versus the high-speed rail that is proposed and I think passed. It's $40 billion. It, lasts, it
1: passed, but the, the budget keeps getting amended and um, uh, the the plans keep getting pushed back. And it looks like a, I mean, I was, I voted for the high speed rail initiative because um, there is such a need, especially in California, um, such a large state with its, its two big cities spread so far apart and so much commerce. Mm-hmm. Uh, being conducted in between them and so many people yeah. spending time both in Southern and in California. Um, so I, I wanted something. I needed something. But, you know, it, it looks like the the high-speed rail train is getting really bogged down in, in kind of, um, you know, government bureaucracy and, and it looks like it's just getting pushed back yeah. and, and, and more costly and I don't think that's ever going to happen. You know, I think the Hyperloop has to be under consideration. I think that I think that the the, the California.
0: It's, uh, it's so funny. Cause the sketches on napkins, uh, what it looks like, and then this forty-six page. It's supposed media. to work. It's supposed
1: to work like those tubes, like you see at Costco. You know, <laughs> when uh, when uh, when the uh, the the cashiers put money. In the money. <laughs> yeah, the little tubes that go up. And I, I mean, I, I guess it's if it's like, six people and you're going seven hundred miles an hour. I don't get it at all. Like, I have no idea how this would work and what, I mean, and, and apparently he wants it also to be solar, which is insane. So you not only have these pods of people going 700 miles an hour in a vacuum, but that the electricity that is
0: powering this apparatus all is, awesome. is, is all solar panel. It, it, yeah, it's like floating on air. It's, it's crazy. It's pretty interesting read. I don't know anything about physics, and science, but I think he, he called it an open-source project, which basically says, I don't have time or capacity to do this, but... I would love it that the California uh, government, the
1: legislator, gave, you know, uh, five five people, like a, a team of five, like a million bucks, so you pay each of them, like, 90 grand a year. Let them flesh this idea out for, like, for 12 months. See, yes. see where it goes. The, the high-speed rail is already... Um, estimated, you know, in the billions the of 40 dollars. Forty billion
0: because of land purchasing.
1: Right. So, but how does Hyperloop take, not have to purchase take land one million is- of that and put five guys in a room for a year, see if they can figure out if this Hyperloop actually could work? Right. Yeah, it'd be amazing. Um, but what we were talking about before, uh, Hyperloop, um, was Flipboard
0: and yeah, how, 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 how people are consuming news. How do you how do you consume news uh, nowadays? Uh, mostly on Twitter, uh, I go on Twitter and I follow a wide variety of people, people in sports, tech, uh, news, what have you. And Do you use Twitter lists? No. No. So i going through a final article, pick one out, I'll read it. Uh, that's how I'm getting a lot of my news. And if it's a lengthier article, I'll throw it on, in, uh, instant paper. I'll read it later. Queue it up on my iPad at night and, and read it. Or if I'm on the plane, I'll sync it and, and read it on the plane. Uh, I don't subscribe or pay for any subscriptions to the Wall Street Journal or New York Times or anything like that. I'm pretty much just picking one off things off Twitter and So just- there aren't
1: any um there aren't any specific publications that you kind of go to as a source of content or do you just follow those um, those Twitter handles and just consume that? Yeah, if it, I just
0: follow Twitter handles. So yeah. I'll follow CNN for all of my breaking news and I love Grantland. So Grantland I'm almost on there every day checking Grantland out and cause they write about everything. Uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't have like one specific place where I love to go. So through.
1: I, you know, I, I love, I love keeping up to date with a variety of topics. I was a big Google reader fan before they shut down that service. Um, and you know, I, I, I mean, I, I admittedly, you started to use Google Reader a lot less once um, once you Twitter sure, of, well, yeah, once once kind of Twitter took over and every important journalist and thought leader was actively, you know, uh, pushing content on Twitter. And I you know, Twitter is still the first uh probably the first website I use uh, I, I look at every morning. Uh, I probably use um, I probably look at TweetBot like right after my email on my iPhone like the first thing when I wake mm-hmm. up. So um yeah, I mean I love Twitter, but I also I also you know, I also use a couple other um kind of more curated um, applications uh to kind of just you know, gather a bunch of interesting articles from a variety of sources that I like. I mean there are i you about like like the Post is uh you know has this big brand and I think there are a ton of other brands that I that I really enjoy. Like Slate dot com um is one of my Slate's favorite, yeah, uh, favorite websites. Is that yeah, Quartz, Quartz is really good. Um, and you know, they you know, there are specific publications like in the tech industry, like I really like to read uh, Pando Daily is really good. And I don't I mean, I don't think I follow their actual um, Twitter handle. I think I follow some of their, uh, staffers? their their staffers. And you know, some of that stuff gets some of the some of their, their most interesting content kind of might get lost if I'm only following the staffers. Um, I didn't want my Twitter feed to kind of just all be um, you know websites. I'd I like to kind of hear like people's voice, and you know, I like Twitter to kind of be a dialogue instead yeah. of just like a like a headline yeah. glass. So I'll, I'll use Flipboard at night. I usually look at Flipboard almost every night, and I have a ton of a ton of different um, um, sites, like Slate and Vanity Fair and Grantland and. Um, a couple of others, uh, like a couple of college football ones, you know, and I just kind of, you know, aggregate all my favorite sites and kind of
0: flip through it
1: uh, at night when I'm kind of watching
0: TV. Yeah. Um, uh, maybe I need to do that. I don't know. I, I get weird with consuming news where I need to see it, like, in an in a order from like, newest to oldest, and I like knowing where I left off, and I like being able to read everything, and, like, Flipboard doesn't – it's aggregating and I don't know if I'm right. missing something and I don't know. My, my theory is if something's really important or interesting, I'll see it in my Twitter stream at least three to four times. Right. And t- today and probably even more tomorrow. So it really starts to signal what's interesting, what's worth reading, uh, rather than me trying to go find something for myself. Yeah. And I think that
1: makes sense. I was one of the reasons why I really, really liked the leader and I still actually use, um, uh, dig, dig Social Reader, which is essentially a kind of, um. Kind like a feed replacement? Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a Google Reader replacement. It's pretty good. Feedly is another one that I've experimented with. I, I also really like, um, kind of, um, an inbox of news from, from, you know, or, sorted by date and sorted by, um, by, by RSS feed. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I kind of wish Twitter had something a little bit more. Uh, built out like that because, I mean, if you take, if you go camping, right, and you don't look at Twitter for like two days, I mean, you basically just have to keep swiping down and looking through, you know, your entire feed of, you know, 300, 400 followers and just keep, you know, finding, you know, what you missed. Whereas, like, I'd love to kind of just be able to quickly scan my eight or nine or 10 or 20 favorite um, uh, Twitter followers and kind of just see what their last 15 tweets were, yeah. kind of in a, in a way that Google Reader does. But um, Twitter's just more about real time, and I feel like if you lost it, then
0: you'll, you'll, you'll look at something else. Um, it's important to find out about it. Yeah, exactly. And that's pretty true about most I don't see time. Twitter going to that realm just because they're so real time, and that's where really they're making their bet, is real time information. Like it, how they can help social TV and how people are tweeting when things are happening in TV shows or sports or what have you. What about um, what about Circa? Do you use that product before? I have. It's really nicely designed. It's beautiful. I like the concept of it. Just I just can't get into it. It's just one more thing for me to add more time to my what I'm doing every day. Right. Because you could read twenty hours a day. Yeah. It that's what You can all do. Is consume. But at some point.
1: Yeah, I mean, I what I I mean, I look at Twitter I I look at Circle like once a day um, for headlines because I found myself at kind of like the in the in the in the in the the social age to just be getting most of my most of my news from Twitter and Facebook, and I end up looking at like CNN.com or Google News or you know, kind of just general. News, news websites a lot less. Yeah, and with Circa, I just kind of you know they've they've basically they're editorializing. Yeah, they're editorializing in very short, easy to consume snippets of information. The most important topics of the day. Now, I, I probably don't rely on Circa for my 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 most favorite topics like sports and and, and tech. But you know, for for what's going on in Washington, or what's lives. going on in the world. You know, it's
0: it'd be, it's nice, and you can
1: follow stories, and it'll give you a little um, a little push notification and badge for any developing story if yeah. something new happened, and I think it actually ends up being pretty cool. So for the um, Asiana uh, flight that, that crashed in San Francisco last month, I followed the story and. I've just been receiving a bunch of little updates, you know, uh, periodically about. Um, yeah, you know, that's That's great.
0: Yeah, and so pretty it's pretty cool. I mean, I think there's a lot of room. Um, there's for a lot of people trying to solve uh, the signal of what you should read and curation of it, and how you, you know, consume that content, which is awesome. Which is why newspapers aren't dying per se, but like to your point, I think there will be this like dissemination of, of writers going elsewhere maybe finding a vertical they're really talented in. Right. And you're you're doing news that way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that, I think that,
1: but what what we've kind of come to the conclusion is that like Twitter is just, um, an incredibly valuable, um, uh, source for, for news and for, for interest. I mean, I think it's by far my favorite social app that I use. I think, yeah, I think it's probably my favorite, um, my favorite um, consumer product, my uh, actually digital consumer product, just because of the ability to 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 follow so many interesting people
0: from like such a broad. Um, yeah, I mean, you could you could areas. be I could be following you, my friend. I could be following uh, the Dalai Lama, and it's just really interesting to get that, that perspective. And it, I don't know, it's like Facebook just full of crap. Yeah, my favorite part <laughs> about that was um, was. Uh, Facebook makes
1: me hate the people I know in real life yeah. and Twitter makes me love people that I've never met. Yeah, it's
0: so true. I have so many like, Twitter relationships, which is kind of dumb to say, but there's people I've never met that I interact with on a weekly basis on Twitter. You're saying like, hey man, check this out or what, you have a conversation with them and it's awesome. Really? Yeah, really cool. And I mean,
1: it's in terms of curation, it's really, it, I mean, if you use it correctly, it's a, it's really a wonderful place to just kind of. Aggregate all of your favorite interests and keep up to date with what's happening in the world. Yeah,
0: I'm um, long in the company. I really like it. Yeah, uh, I love it too. I think it's valued at like $10 dollars or something like yeah. that. They're probably an IPO next year. I just read yesterday that uh, I think Morgan Stanley will IPO, so it's coming soon. Oh, okay. Very uh, but yeah, I yeah, I'm, I'm really long on Twitter. Uh, we'll see how they monetize. Just just because they have to do a lot of education around their ad products and how they work and, and the streams and whatnot, whereas Facebook's still kind of in the, you can buy CPNs, you can buy display advertising on Facebook and people are more familiar with that. So I think there's more of a learning curve into buying media on Twitter. Right. That's a whole different discussion, but but it'll be interesting to see
1: because I think that uh, Twitter engagement has got to be through the roof and it's only and I mean, every, every kind of big, Big TV event kind of further proves that how how
0: much Twitter is now intertwined with politics. Yeah, or people tweeting on the bench during a sports game or at halftime or it's everywhere. I
1: think that my uh, I think I'm following some good people because I didn't get one um, uh, one tweet about Breaking Bad because I hadn't seen the the first episode yet of yeah. the other season, and I didn't get one spoiler like the entire time in my feed. And I used to get that, that stuff all the time, and would, it would, like, drive me crazy, right? Like, I would see something related to, like, Mad Men, and I'm like, oh, shoot,
0: I haven't seen that yep. episode yet. Yep. People I follow uh, are tweeting about it, but if it's something really important to me, like Breaking Bad, I'll just go radio silent for, yeah. for four hours while the, the East Coast watches it, and, you know, I get to watch it. Uh, yeah. So, I know we're going to talk about music festivals, but we're kind of at our... We're at 15 minutes right now. Oh, we're at fifty. Well, we'll save it. Um, Should we save it, or it's we,
1: you? you talk quickly about uh, your experience, uh, what, did you, I mean, what were your takeaways from Lollapalooza?
0: I'm only 25, and I just felt super old there. Oh, you did already? Yeah. I mean, it's a lot of 17, 18-year-olds, drunk, walking around high. Uh, a lot of girls wearing the high-waisted jean shorts with their ass hanging out. Yeah, it's like that and Coachella outfit. It's, you feel like they have to dress, like, really hip. and. Uh, it, yeah, and it, it's just like... It's like Halloween. Like if your parents saw you, they'd be just so disappointed, I feel like.
1: Yeah, I mean, at least, at least, it was summer. summer. Was great. At least it was summer at Wall of No, cool? yeah, it was, it
0: was, was no, great. I had an amazing time. It was a ton of fun. Uh, saw a lot of great acts. Uh, you know, had a great time. What was your favorite act? <sighs> My favorite act, I don't know, it's hard to say, Mumford was great. The Killers were great. I have never The Killers. They were put on an awesome show. Ellie Goulding was really good. She's super talented. Oh, cool. Uh, so, did you go to the outside lands? Yeah,
1: so, I, um, I actually snuck into outside lands, um, kind of just out of should, boredom. Um, on, uh, on
0: Saturday or Sunday? Um, actually both days, uh, Saturday and Sunday. So, Blunk and Nick take note because they gave up and they couldn't get in. So, Saturday,
1: I probably failed about nine times, kind of embarrassingly. How were you trying to get in? Uh, so walk in? well, and so, let me, let me, like, preface real quick. I, you know, I, a bunch of friends bought tickets. You know, three day passes for outside lands. I wasn't that um, into it. I mean, there are a couple of there are a couple of big names that play that that I'm that'd be interested in seeing, but um, it's really cold. I'm starting to get older for the the kind of crazy music festival thing. And I just I, I decided not to buy, and uh, tickets sold out, and kind of just realized I wasn't doing anything this weekend. And I was like, you know, it'd be kind of fun to go try to sneak in and meet up with some of those guys. And so. Um, I failed a few times um, and eventually, I mean at first I was just trying to see if I could find an opening, that didn't work and eventually I found a um, a guy, a security guard who was uh, manning like a little entrance for like truck deliveries, uh-huh. and asked him if there was something like I could do to, to get in and I basically just paid him 20 bucks and, <laughs> and he let me write in. It uh, kind of took me kind of a back way. It was kind of sketchy. I got his phone number for the next day. Um, but the next day, uh, I... You were in the VIP the, tent. I was in the, the media tent, which is like, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, uh, the bubble of Mike and Corey will be in the media tent. Next <laughs> day. But, uh, yeah, I just, we, we a friend had one of those wristbands. And these wristbands have like, these NF, NFID chips yeah. on them. So they're like, it's a, the security is super locked down. But we just passed them back old school. Like two people Straight came like, schools, yeah, One yeah. person came out with two wristbands. his um, fans. We, we glued right. them together. Actually, we, 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 we attached them with like a little bit of a piece of gum. And
0: uh, just three of us just you know, yeah. walked right in. It was free beer there. It was great. Saw if you're scrappy, time. you can pretty much do whatever you want. Yeah. The, the, there, there's that like, guy that's been to, what, 30 Super Bowls in the in every year. Oh he sneaks really? in the Super Bowl every year. He's wow. been last 30. He sneaks into the Emmys. There's this guy that this is what he does. It's, it's his thing. Yeah,
1: it actually was um, kind of sadly more exciting to like try to sneak in and finally actually get in than the actual Yeah, the act press. of doing it was better than the act Yeah, itself. Exactly. And you know, I mean I saw I saw I only saw three minutes, I saw Phoenix on Saturday night because I snuck in the late. Yeah, they were good. And then I saw um, the Red Hot Chili Peppers and Vampire Weekend on Sunday. Well, they good. Yeah, they were all... It was all... It was a great show. Um, San Francisco is just not the best festival city. It's cold. Everybody's freezing their butts off. It was probably like 58 degrees
0: and misting with, you know... Yeah, the like, cl- the fall was so low on There's no way it's warm yeah. out. I was in Presidio hitting golf balls and mm-hmm. could barely see it. So, but yeah,
1: it was still, it was still a great show. And, um... Again, I mean, I don't know, I don't know, I mean, Outside Lanes does well, but it's still kind of like, I think, at least in my, in my, from my view, like, kind of like the Redhead Stepchild, of festivals, but like, yeah. there's and Coachella, and Lollapalooza. Yeah. And then there's, like, these other ones that, you know, like, Outside Lands is kind of, like, on the fringe. They still get big acts, but, you know, it's it's not like Coachella
0: or, like, Lollapalooza. Yeah. Uh, I think it's just because of the weather. Yeah, it's, it's the weather. It's, <laughs> it, it's the weather,
1: um... It's also really hard to get to. It's
0: super far. It's a bitch to get out of.
1: I mean, it's, it's in a part of town where not a ton of people, it's not really convenient for a ton of people. No. And so, um, I mean, even the the cab situation was awful. I mean, I couldn't get a lift all weekend. Um,
0: Talk about first world problems. Yeah.
1: Um, and Uber was up to like two and a half X or three yeah, X. Yeah, that's and 150 bucks for
0: you, you just to get yeah. out. Yeah.
1: So I, 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 I hailed a cab after like 45
0: minutes old school. It so felt weird. But. <laughs> Um, yeah, I can throw this. I there's a lot of stuff about music festivals, you know, that are that are really funny and interesting to me. Do you have any any desire to go to Burning Man? I actually do. Um, I kind of want to go. I, I kind of want to
1: go at some point um, just to kind of experience it. Um, I, I I love. I actually really love the idea of festivals. I love being around like a ton of you know eclectic people and people watching and like bumping into people and. Um, you know, meeting new yeah. friends and meeting up with different groups of people, and I think Burning Man would just take all of that and kind of just you know turn it into like this awesome little community. And, yeah,
0: except you'll be wearing like a man thong with yeah goggles and I don't know, paint on your chest.
1: Yeah, probably, probably that. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, 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 people that they go, they burners are kind of a weird group, <laughs> like, they're a weird group, like, they they're really, really into burning it. It's almost like a religion. And, um, I don't know how fit in now in my, uh, in my oh, age. Definitely. There's so many people that go, uh,
0: but anyways. So what's, uh, what's your one, um, what, what are we calling it now? Is this like the, uh, tip of the week? What, tip do, we, of the week? what do we, what do we call it? I don't know. We'll call we'll it, it the name. We'll brand it soon enough. Uh, speaking of which, uh, Big news! We now have a logo uh, to match our name. So the bubble with Mike and Corey. Uh, My tidbit is: there's this great site called Fiverr.com. I Believe it's um, F-I-B-E-R-R.com. It's a marketplace where people do things for five dollars. What kind of stuff? All kinds of stuff. So our logo was made on Fiverr.com for five bucks, and our logo is great. I got ten different versions of it. P, uh, psds and jpegs and whatever uh but i could have you go on i could pay five bucks uh for this guy to call call meg and uh, with a barack obama impersonation and leave a voicemail that's amazing uh, so this is all I these great, cool little quirky things you can do for five bucks uh great site I've, I've already had two logos made there uh and she turns around in like a week it's, it was great What's what's your what's so your so my tip is
1: actually kind of uh, on point for uh, today's discussion. Okay, um, it is a app that I or a website that I stumbled upon called Atavist A T A V I S T. And the reason I stumbled upon it it's a it's a um, it's a place where uh, journalists and writers can um, post original content and um, charge for it or whatever they, you know whatever they want mm-hmm. to monetize and you know, you can download the uh, you know Kindle a Kindle single version of the article, or you can download like an iPad friendly article uh, version of the article. They also have an app for the iPhone. And what's really interesting is that it um, it, it really kind of transformed, transforms the reading of the article into kind of an experience. Um, and so, what I mean by that is, do you remember that New York Times article a while
0: back that was like into the snow? Or something yeah, like it was about. Uh... Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. So, so like kind of like
1: an experience, right? And so, you know,
0: it was the avalanche at Stone Creek or something. And as you scrolled down, it was it was animated, but it had videos you could watch, and it was interactive.
1: So, and so the reason I the reason I stumbled upon Atavist was um, uh, for a story called Corona High by a guy named Josh uh, Behrman. And so Josh Behrman was the screen, uh, he wrote uh, this article for Wired Magazine a few um, a few years back okay. that ended up being adapted into the movie Argo. So when when right. the true story of Argo was declassified, um, Josh Behrman, the writer, uncovered the article or uncovered the facts of the story and wrote a true kind of nonfiction long form article for, for Wired Magazine. And it was option first replay, and you know the rest is history. And so this new uh, article um, called Corona High is kind of similar to Argo, um, and it is about the true story of a bunch of stoner um, surfers in San Diego in 1968 who would uh, surf uh across the border into Mexico and smuggle marijuana into San Diego and set up a drug trade in San Diego. And they turned they turned it into like a multi-million dollar enterprise. Um, and and I was like, gosh, dude, this guy, the same guy that wrote Argo, is gonna write uh wrote this article of um, called Cru and High um, about these like these little drug hippies and it's gonna be awesome. And so I stumbled upon it, it's exclusive on Adibis. It's like 299, but it's really awesome. I mean, when you open the article, there's music playing, and it's like this really cool, like kind of like beach vibe, like nineteen sixties yeah. music. Like as you scroll through the article, there's like high yeah, it is. there's really cool photos and um, little video interviews with the people. So you really have this like immersive multimedia experience about you know what went on in nineteen sixty-eight in, in San Diego. And I'm just really excited for the movie, too. It's already been optioned, um, you know, uh, to, to be written into a screenplay. And, um, and um, I mean, it's, it's great. I
0: I'd highly recommend it. That's awesome. Uh, perfect. So once we get the blog going, I'm just going to start doing it tonight. Okay. Because there's so much cool stuff to cover that our readers need to be – they can't be deprived of this yeah, amazing okay. information. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so thanks for listening, you guys. Uh, a little long tonight, night and maybe sound quality not the best. Corey and I are holed up in a conference room. Um, we're we're entertaining a, ourselves,
1: though, here. Yeah. That's, that's the most important thing. Yeah. Hopefully, uh, someone out there is interested in what And we're,
0: uh, back, so. and we're using an iPhone tether for our Wi-Fi connection, so pretty scrappy here uh, over in South Beach. Uh, this is Mike and Corey with The Bubble, signing off. See you next time.
1: Every day I'm hustling, 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 hustling. hustling, hustling. Oh, and
0: uh, real quick. I did the quick fact check 1% of 25 billion is 250 million uh, It was pretty comical watching me do this because I, I There's so many zeros and commas were not formatting in my calculator or on Google or wherever so I had to open up an Excel spreadsheet, type it in, format that cell so I could see the commas and figure that math out. It's been a long day and now we're signing off
1: think you're fucking with. I'm the fucking boss. forty-five, white on white. That's fucking Ross. I cut them wide. I cut them long. I cut them fat. I keep them coming back. What? We keep them coming back. I'm in the distribution. I'm like.